Get Real with Lisa Crown Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am here with the gem, ladies and gentlemen. I've got on my podcast today an American television personality and comedian. He is best known for hosting the game show Extreme Gong and The Weakest Link. In addition, he's been the announcer for Price is Right since 2011. Side note, I have been watching Price is Right since I fell out of the womb. Like when my mom was pregnant, we watched, okay? So I've been watching over 40 years, super fan right here. He's a personal family friend and I couldn't be more honored to have him in the hot seat today. So George Gray, come on down. You're the next star on Get Real with Lisa Graham podcast. That was quite, that was quite the buildup. <laughs> How'd I do, George? How'd I do? That was very, very nice. Thank you very, very much. It's funny because uh, for some reason, and I don't know where it comes from, um, it's uh, it says uh, it says the Gong Show, which anybody who's under uh, thirty five is like, what the hell is the Gong Show? <laughs> if you're old enough, the Gong Show was enormous back in the day in the seventies, and uh, and the other, I did a show called Junkyard Wars, which was yes, in the late nineties. Uh, and and 2000 and that uh, that a lot of people know and that's actually what got me like a primetime Emmy nomination and then I went which is not I'm not bragging I just got it and then then that put me on the radar for NBC which got me weakest link which is one of the reasons why I am now the announcer for the price is right weird world wow so that's right my husband did tell me that too and I forgot to write it in my in my intro notes, but that's right. Junk war hoes. That's, see, so that's, what, that's, that's why we're, that's why we're talking. That's why we're that's here. Right. I learned so much about you today. I'm excited. Thank oh. you for your time today. I know how busy you are because Price is Right isn't on strike. So you guys are busy. You're filming and you're busy, George. You got a lot of things going on. Well, what's nice is we're, uh, on it's, it's fancy for off called hiatus. And, um, and, it just means it's any kind of break. Now, most uh, most shows, like a sitcom or something like that, those hiatuses are, you know, over like the summer or something like that. Our hiatuses can be uh, like a week or something like that. And right now right. we're on a 16-day hiatus, which is really, really nice, which is why I can be in a, in a cat T-shirt instead right. of uh, putting a tie. <laughs> Oh my God, you're so funny. So I'm just going to fire off some questions for you because, you know, my audience wants to get to know you better and so do I. So Perfect. tell us, George, like, I know you tapped on it like a hair, but like what, you're from like uh, the Midwest, right? Like you're, you know, um, how did you get from there to like Hollywood? What's that journey like? Well, you got to get on the 10 West and then pretty much just get off, you know, uh, I would say maybe Pico. Um, actually, I'm originally from St. Louis, and um, and then my parents, we moved uh, to Tucson when I was uh, in third grade, and, uh, and then I went to high school and college in Tucson, and uh, uh, decided to find fame and fortune by uh, coming out to Los Angeles in 90 when I was two years old. And, uh, and then, uh, and then I bought back, uh, my childhood home in 2004, uh, in St. Awesome. Louis. So I go back to St. Louis all the time. So full circle. 
You know, I love that you did that. I knocked on the door of my house that I was growing up in and asked them if I could buy it. And they said, no. Aww. Were they they nice to you? Very, very nice. But they were like, we love our house. I'm like, shoot, well, here's my name and number. And they never called George. You're so lucky. As the coolest thing in the world. I'll tell you what, because I'm a big, I'm a big car and antique guy. Sometimes it takes a while for people to, you know, be ready to sell. If you annoy them enough so that you're constantly on their radar, when, not if, but when it's time for them to let go of that house, they'll be like, fine, call Lisa. Right. So that's what you do is you just reach out and you just say, hey, I'm just checking again, just reminding you. Not, not, I know you don't want to sell, but when you want to sell, just want to remind you, make sure you still got my number. Just keep doing that. That's how you buy cars. That's how you buy stuff. Somebody's like, fine, just go away. That's such great advice because all my listeners are salespeople, George. So like that is great sales advice, right? You can't get the no and be gone. Persistence. Love it. Exactly. Well, that's what I, that's actually, um, what I tell people on Price is Right, which is, uh, they don't tell me to say it, but I always say it just because it's fun. Um, you know, near the end of a show, like, hey, if I didn't call your name, first of all, my bad, but come back. It takes more than one try. You know, don't don't just give up and don't just think, oh, they don't like me. They don't want me. No, that's not it. It's we've, There's a lot of people and you let them see you a second time or a third. And uh, there was a there was a woman, this is the end of last season, and she had a shirt on it said third time's a charm. And uh, and it was crossed out and fourth was written in Sharpie above it. Oh. She's like, you're not picking me. And I'm like, I know, I'm super sorry. I'm making mistakes. And uh, and she actually uh, got picked on that show and she won the showcase. Oh, so I took, love it. Four tries. There was another group of women, and I think they were from Detroit. Can't quite remember, but I think so. And they would come in almost every year uh as like a like a group trip and go to the price is right and i didn't know that but it turned out it was like their seventh try or something like that you know so and probably not seven years in a row so maybe 10 12 years one of them got on and won the showcase and they were all standing on stage saying wow this has been like a dream forever and we just always figured you know sooner or later one of us will get picked and there you go so yeah absolutely Love that. Love that percep- that perception about that. You know what I mean? You just, and it's actually one of the questions that I wanted to talk to you about, you know, it's about, do you have, you know, in your world there, I'm sure there's a ton of rejection going to Los Angeles. I mean, you know, I tried to do acting when I was younger too, and went on a lot of auditions and there was a lot of rejection. How did you deal with rejection and not wanting to give up or giving up? Tell us a little bit about, you know, any of that experience. I think I'm, I think I'm just too, either too ignorant, dumb, or, uh, or stubborn to take no for an answer. I should have, you know, cause I moved out here, like I said, in 90 and, um, I was already doing quite a bit of acting in Arizona, which doesn't sound like much now, but it was really, Arizona had really a ton of Westerns in the seventies and then a ton of films in the eighties because they were doing tax breaks, kind of like what Georgia is right now. You know, mm-hmm. everything's walking dead in Georgia. Um, it was like that. But in the 80s, Arizona, like, so I was in a movie called Teen Angel with Jason Priestley that was right before he blew up with 90210. And I was in a film um, 
called Can't Buy Me Love with Patrick Dempsey. Great, uh, great film. It was one of his first big movies. And uh, I was cast for Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, you know, I love it. Those were all Arizona films. So it was all big stuff. So I thought, okay, great. I was big fish in a little pond. And I came out to LA and I thought, well, you know, it'll be tough, but I'll do well. It died. It was brutal. It was terrible. It was terrible. So I, I yeah, the first, first four years, I mean, four years, almost really five years, I was, I should have gone home. But <laughs> I didn't. So then I started working, you know. So there you go. You just have to be ignorant enough. So fun to have a comedian on. It is making me crack up. Oh, no, I'm not kidding. I was too stupid to leave. <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, did you think about giving up and calling it a day? Did that go through your mind? And like, you know, how did you kind of overcome feeling defeated at times where it's like, okay, this might not be for me. How'd you overcome that to stay? And I know you said like ignorance and all that, which is hilarious, but there was a fight in there or a belief in there, the belief system. Well, actually, I, you know, I was always working, uh, but it wasn't really enough to pay the bills. You know, I mean, I, I remember one year I made seven thousand dollars. That's and I was working as an actor and as a, as a stand up comedian. I wasn't working, you know, I wasn't waiting tables on the side. So I was not making any money. And uh, it was it was tough. And my I remember my mom mailed me a box of Top Ramen one time from like oh. Costco or Sam's Club. And the stamps on the box cost more than the flipping top ramen inside of it. It was very funny, like a whole case of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, I lived in a converted garage behind somebody's house. Um, it was like a little cute guest house, but, you know, it was a converted garage nonetheless yeah. uh, in Culver City. And uh, four, 495 bucks a month. And it had a mature orange tree right outside of my door. And a lot of times I would eat oranges. And there was a crab apple tree and I'd cut up crab apples and I'd put cinnamon and sugar on them. And that would be, that'd be dinner. You know I mean? And don't get me wrong. I'd scrape up money and get beer. I mean, that was, you know, <laughs> those were all staples. It was very important, but I, I, uh, it was super weird. I, I got to a point where it was, um, this was, I think 94 maybe. And I was, I was working and I had gotten some, you know, a few co-stars, guest star, you know, sitcom stuff and, you know, I had some kind of stops and starts and, uh, and, and then, uh, so promising, but still, you know, hard to keep the lights on. And I remember my, my cousin, all, my cousins on my mom's side, uh, my mom's maiden name is black and she married a gray. Oh, and, uh, so the black brothers who are five brothers, um, one of them knocked up a girl when he was 16 his dad, my uncle, very religious man, said, you're dropping out of high school and getting a job and you're going to marry this girl and uh, be a respectable husband and dad. And uh, so he did. And he worked for a real estate guy and he made his first million dollars by the time he was 21. And he had his first helicopter by the time he was like 23. And then wow. all the brothers did well. They owned a, a huge um, construction company together. Uh, and uh, one of them, his name's Randy. Um, and uh, he owned Merv Griffin's old casino in Mesquite, Nevada. He doesn't wow. go anymore, but he did. And wow. uh, and he'd flown me up there and he said, you know, what? why don't you come work for me? You can, uh, you know, you can run the you can run comedy, run shows, brings people in, you know, 
And I knew that if I worked for him, he was like, you know, he's one of those guys that just somehow they're just around, you know, success and money. And, you know, and I knew that I would make millions eventually, you know, just being around him and learning something that I knew nothing about. And, right. uh, but I was starting to kind of, you know, get known around town for doing stand up and stuff and sketch. And I just didn't know what to do. And so I went, I said, okay, I'll think about it. And, uh, and he said, all right, well, let me know. And so I went, went, went home and, uh, and I prayed so hard and I said, God, I don't know what to do. I have no idea what to do. Do I stay or do I go? I have no idea. Is it the right thing? Do I keep slugging away after almost five years or do I go do this, which is obviously the smart thing to do. I just don't know what to do. Uh, could you give me a sign? You know, like God is my college roommate or something, you know, but I just didn't know what else to do. Like, you know, when you hit God up for stuff like that, you know, you're really, uh, desperate. And, um, it was the weirdest thing, but, uh, it was like 48 hours later. Um, I got booked to do warm up on a show, uh, which is the comedian that goes out in front. And, uh, and I immediately started booking a ton of work and I made uh, six figures within my first year and bought my first house. And then that got me into the hosting world by accident, just backwards. Like it all just, happened super super fast and i was like well i guess that was the sign that's right and uh and yeah and i called him i said i'm actually starting to work in la right now so i'm gonna stay here but you know if it if it kind of if it peters out i'll let you know and it never did it just kind of i i Back always off. worked after that yeah now what what year is this that was i think i think 94 ish mm-hmm. something like that probably yeah, sometime around there. That's uh, I, I like how you know. Hey, I turn to God all the time. Help me, please. Okay, and then sometimes the signs, you know, work in your favor, and sometimes you think they don't, but they, they end up that they do. You know that I, I do say look for signs. I like that. That was a well, good uh, yeah. guide for you. For me, you know, I mean, I was, I I started out working as a a film actor, and always small stuff, not not big stuff, but you know, uh, roles that you could see me, like I was really on screen saying real words and real movies and, and, um, and, uh, and then doing a lot of sketch. And, um, and then I wound up uh, getting some sitcom stuff. So I, I, that was kind of my world. And then from doing warm up where you're, and I was, I was actually filling in for um, Mark Wahlberg um oh. not not the underpants mark Wahlberg, uh not marky mark Wahlberg, but but uh antiques roadshow mark Wahlberg, oh, okay. um, television host if you're watching the podcast right now you can look him up on the side and you'll see who he is coolest nicest guy ever he's been a host forever very talented he was getting his own talk show at the time and they needed somebody to fill in for him so he he was on a show it was it was called jones and jury which was star jones remember star jones mm-hmm. uh she was getting uh, she had her her own show, so basically I was on I was doing talk reality and game because that's what he was warming up was talk reality and game. Well, mm-hmm. when you're around talk reality and game, and all the 
executive producers are seeing you every day and you're saying hi and maybe you're funny or charming or you seem like you have a good work ethic and work hard and everything. Next thing you know, I was auditioning for talk, game, and reality. And, and, you know, I didn't book them for years. You know, they'd bring me in for host stuff and I was always the bridesmaid, never the bride. (laughs) And then I just, years later, I think my technique got honed or maybe everybody just got tired of me coming around and started throwing their stuff. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so, you, you know, you don't know what sign you get. And you, you have to have open eyes and you have to be willing. I, I remember, I know I'm doing all the talking, but no, uh, I, I remember when I was, I was in a sketch group and, uh, and it was a really good one. And we put on, we put on a fresh show every Friday night at the Hartung Theater in Hollywood. And uh, it was, uh, I think, a hundred theater and um, working with really talented people, super fun. I mean, just tons of work, but very fun and funny. And uh, really helped me hone my sketch and improv chops. And um, I remember having conversations. We'd be drinking beer, you know. Oh, I'd n- I'll never, I'd never do it. You know, TV. I'll only work film. You know. Oh, I'll only do this. Well, I'll only do this. And I remember saying, "You guys crazy? I'm a hooker for the right money. I'll do anything. I, I like. Why would you turn down work? Are you, are you that, you that dumb? And like, I just remember these conversations and. To this day, and now I'm the, you know, I'm on Price is Right, living a very good life. Yep. And I don't know what those guys are doing. I it mean. Doesn't, it doesn't mean they're not more talented than me. They were more talented than me. <laughs> but they weren't willing to just, like, see where life takes you. Take the path. Go for it. And you don't know where you'll wind up. And I wound up here, and i super thrilled. I Super mean, fun. you're the best job. I swear to God. Yes, I do. You know, it reminds me when I was new, I, I did title sales. So the people I coach, George, I did their exact job for 20 years in LA. And I remember I interviewed one of our top producers 25 years ago. And she says to me, I only talk to top producers. I do not talk to people who are sort of making it and brand new. God, no. And it was funny. I didn't have a click there when I was talking to her. Like, I don't like that. I feel like today's new newbie could be tomorrow's top producer. Why are we being judgy? You know what I well, mean? You can't. I mean, I, I don't mean to, you know, be a rocket scientist, but some newbie that's out there today will be the top yeah. seller, will be your boss, will be the president. Yeah. You don't like how do you think they get there? Everybody starts as a newbie. There's no such thing as you're born a top seller. You're born the president of the United States. Okay, fine. You could be born the king of England. Bad example. But (laughs) everything else, you're not born that way. So yeah, my brother-in-law, Dan, he's he's in real estate. He's very successful in St. Louis and he is a hustler. Never stops working. Works 23 hours a day. And I remember him telling me a story not too long ago. He said that you know, somebody wanted to see a, a $2,000 condominium or something. like. He's like, I can't believe, it. you know, but he didn't say no. Like everybody else is like, no, this is not even my, worth my time. Whatever it was, it was very cheap. And he went through the time and helped this person out. And I guess uh, th- their family has slowly emigrated from India. 
And he's wound up working with 14 different family members and sold mm -hmm. like almost 10 properties to them, some very expensive, all because like he just took the time, you know, you never know. And I get it. Sometimes right, you, right. if you're so busy and you, then yes, be smart. Yeah. Pay, then, then take the, the highest thing on the totem pole and then, you know, pick down as you have time. And if you're very successful, you probably don't have time to do all that simple mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. But why not? Why not? Right? I like that. Let me um, let me ask you a question on a shift gear deal. Did you watch the Price yeah. is Right documentary with that perfect bid guy? Perfect bid, the contestant who the knew too much? Maybe I saw the whole thing. I know I've seen some of it. Um, and yeah, it was super weird. And, super uh, weird. and Drew tells this. Drew, I don't I don't know if Drew's in the documentary, but he does tell the story to to audience members. He said, yeah, when that bid came in and I, like I went backstage, he's like, well, show's over. That's it. We're getting shut down for something. You know, some kind of fraud, some kind of weirdness. And yeah, it just turns out that these guys were like, Let's just say they didn't do a lot of socializing and dating. Right. You know, those kind of people. <laughs> the kind of guys that got time on their hands. Oh, my God. It's funny. I mean, look, only true Price is Right, right? Us crazy nutty fans who've been watching for years would watch that, right? But it was really fascinating. That rocked my world. You guys should see it. It's kind of funny. Um, okay, so that was the sidebar. Back yeah. to this. So I want to pick your brain, get some advice around some topics, right? Because I just feel like you've done a lot, you've experienced a lot. I mean, I really feel, you know, I'm dealing with salespeople and like rejection and all that kind of stuff. And you kind of felt the heart of it, which because they get rejected or because their orders are down or the market is, is down. What's your advice on like a negative mindset when someone just starts to kind of spin out? What's your thoughts there? Yeah, that's tough. I, when you were, when you're, asking that setting that up i mean it's an odd way to answer it but first of all all i could think of was glenn gary and glenn, glenn gary glenn ross right like, if, you haven't, if you haven't seen that if you're watching this and you do uh, if you're in real estate wow you should be watching that immediately if you want to immediately feel depressed for somebody you'll feel well way better about your life it's an amazing amazing movie amazing play um I, it's funny i can you can put me on stage in front of 10,000 people with a microphone and say, could you just fill five minutes just talking to them? I'm fine. Like I, you know, not doing stand up, just having nothing to say and just hanging out. Totally fine. Doesn't bother me at all. Wouldn't feel nervous. Great. We'll have a good time. I know whoever they are, we're going to have a great time. If you gave me a stack of flyers and said, stand on Venice beach, and hand these to every person that walks by. I would rather die 10,000 deaths. Can't do it. I can't handle that kind of rejection. Because to me, that's cold call. And that's something that I have great respect for. So I think that there's a line there. If you cold call, no, muy jefe. You, you're a badass in my book because I don't know how you do it. I couldn't have gone to the door to save my life. If I know that you are interested, 
if you're maybe curious about purchasing ice, I'll sell you a freaking igloo. I can sell anything. <laughs> but if I'm just knocking on doors, on doors, hey, would you be interested in igloos? Nope, I'd rather die. I would rather die. So how do you deal with how do you deal with no? Think if you're if you're involved in, you know, cold calling of any kind in life, which could be something like walking up to a girl on the street and saying, hi, I'd really like to take you out for a cup of coffee. Oh, no, no, no. Even if you gave me a crystal ball and said, uh, here, I looked in the crystal ball, that is your future wife. First of all, my current wife is going to be pissed. But so that's going to be your future wife. And all I had to do was go talk to her. No way. I'd screw it up. I couldn't do it. Now, if she came up to me and said, oh, do you have the time? Oh, now it's on. Now it's on. Now I got this. This is going to be easy. I just can't handle that, that interaction. So I think, yeah, you got to have a tough skin. And if, you, if you're not cold calling, but you're the kind of person that, you know, you're trying to get to a yes in whatever you do in life, yeah, just don't give up. Just don't, you know. Just just keep plugging away, hone your craft, hone your pitch, you know, uh, do what the stand up does. If you're not if you're not getting quite the laugh you want, well, then work on it. Maybe add a word, subtract a word, change your timing of it. You know, isn't that what sales is? Yeah. Is, you know, it's kind of a unrehearsed, rehearsed line. When you watch a good stand up. You'd swear that they're just thinking of it right then but they're not they've even thought about whether or not two snaps is funnier than one or they might go if you're just thinking of it they go oh yes that works better than that that's how you do it and why is any other line of work really differently if you notice like eh, i'm not really hitting home runs well then try a different angle you know I do, yeah, I do think there's a parallel there with sales and auditioning, right? Because I think a lot of people have such speaker's anxiety to get in front of a crowd of six people or 15 people or 50 because they get so nervous. Oh my God, all eyes are on me and they're so nervous. So they think what you do in your auditions are like, oh my God, I'd rather die a hundred times over. So it's just so interesting, you know, to, to hear that. Oh man, you do so well passing out those flyers. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Moving on, let me ask you, how do you deal with life's curves balls? How do you deal with, you know, when things kind of get out of your, you know, out of control or spin out? How do you like come back to center? Because it depends what the curveball is. I mean, there's curveballs and there's curveballs, you know. You know, a lot of times I'll sweat the little stuff. It'll be like, this damn cap won't open, you know, and I'll just get, get all worked up. But then I have a massive heart attack out of nowhere. And it's like, I never thought about dying, even though I almost did. It was like, okay, just got to get to the hospital. Okay. Got to get this shirt off. Do I want him to cut it or do I want to take it off? I think we could take it off. Okay. We're going in for a stent. All right. I'll see you on the other side. Okay. All right. Now we got to do open heart. Okay. Do I do it here or do I, it just, everything was incremental is a step focus on the next thing. Otherwise you could just get too overwhelmed by it. So I can compartmentalize, you know, just one step at a time. What is the next thing I have to deal with? Deal with that thing and then get to the next thing. And that helps. So I still don't know what this bottle capsule will come off. <laughs> oh, my God. You're so funny. George, your heart came through, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Like a champion. It's good. Yeah, yeah it did. Yeah, Second chance at life. 
yeah, if you're watching, you don't know, I out of nowhere had a heart attack and just woke up at 6 a.m., felt funny, felt odd, thought maybe I had food poisoning, thought I ate something weird. And then uh, my wife, Brittany, woke up and said, but, you know, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And, and then she said, well, what do you want me to do? I don't know. I don't know. Do you want me to call an ambulance? I don't know. I don't know. And so she did anyway. And then I was convulsing 37 minutes later, I was hundred percent blocked on my right side, 70 on my left side. Uh, they performed a stent surgery on the recovery table. It failed. And then they did another emergency stent surgery. And then, um, Three days later, I had open heart and it was a quadruple bypass. And while I was on the operating table waiting for the surgeon who was late, I started to go into arrest again. And so the anesthesiologist put me under. So, and, and to this day, like it was all genetic stuff. I'm healthy as a horse. Everything's great. No damage to the heart. No, nothing. It'll never happen again. It was just, I was a weird ticking time bomb. I was one of those guys that would have died in my 30s that you just go, what? But that's that back in the day, back in the Game of Thrones, that's just what you did. You just dropped dead at 32 for no reason. And yeah. everybody went, well, he had a good run. And that would have been me. So mm. there, now, now you don't have to look it up if you're watching. It's a long way of saying, get tested. You know, uh, if you're, I mean, even if it runs in your family and it really, my dad's dad had heart disease and that's it. Like he died in the forties. Yeah. Wow. In the forties. before my, my dad was only 13 when my dad died and he needed what was the futuristic bypass surgery. Yeah. And he died before it was invented. Essentially they were experimenting with like pig valves and stuff back in the yeah. day. So apparently I got his lucky genes, but <laughs> like, yeah, get checked if it runs in your family at all. Because I was healthy, super healthy. I was one I'm of the just, healthiest I'd ever been the night before I almost died. I'm, I'm just so grateful that you made it because the heart attacks usually win. You know, they usually take people out, like you said. And so that was a miracle. That was a miracle. Okay. But I like how you handle the curveball situation. You're you literally were like one step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time. Like every single thing, you were like making a decision and furthering on your process versus the cap. You want to fuck it off and fling it across the room. But it's like like, like for instance, it, you know what's something that's very real to everybody. Everybody's dealt with it is you have a stack of bills, you have no money, they're all, you know, everything's gonna shut off, shut down, close, and it's just overwhelming. And so what do you do except cry or have a vodka or right. cry, cry in your vodka is what you do is okay. What I did, I, I, 2008, my, it's a very long story, but my business manager wasn't doing well mentally took all my money and then killed himself. Um, and, um, and so I had nothing at the time and didn't know what to do. And I just called all the credit card companies and I called all the cable companies and I called everybody and I just told them, I told them honestly what was going on. And I said, I don't have any money, but the moment I do, I will get it to you. I took that lesson from my mom who it was the early seventies and we were broke at the time. My dad was moving out to get another job in Arizona. 
They were trying to sell the house, trying to get a new property, like had no money. And so my mom, she would write a note. My mom still writes notes to this day. Like if whatever the bill was, you know, to the, to the company, she would write a note said, I have no money right now. And then she'd put a dollar bill in it. She said, but I want to, I know times are a little different back then, but she would say, but I'm aware. I know it. Please, please be as lenient as you can. And I'll pay you as soon as I can. And I just, I took that page and did the same thing. And so anytime the creditors or anybody would call me, I'd take the call. I would never refuse the calls. I would never say, how dare you call me at dinner? Hi. Hi, John. Yeah. No, this is George. You got the right person. Here's my story. Let me tell you. And I would tell him the whole story and I would say, I'm happy to pay you. I can't right now. And then, you know, and, and I never had the worst thing I had was somebody being mildly short with me one time. I never had anybody be even rude to me because everybody goes through it. Everybody knows it. And again, I was just, yes, it was very overwhelming, but I just took one thing at a time and somehow that's helped me get through things. So I don't know if that's any wisdom, but that worked for me. No, but I love that because I think we see the elephant, George, and we're like, we need to eat this whole thing in one gulp. So I like the one bite at a time theory. It's just helps. It just, it just helps. It helps the mind and the heart and the actions and the choices. So I love that. It's great advice. What advice do you have about believing in yourself? Cause yeah, I just don't think you could just be the announcer on prices, right? If you don't have that belief system. And if my, I know my listeners, there's people out there that are having a rough time believing in themselves. And I don't know if it's a lack of value proposition or lack of experience or just that not feeling worthy. What advice do you have for those guys? Well, first of all, that's normal. That's human. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, if you start considering that a weakness, now you're just piling on to other stuff that you're having doubt about. The truth is, is if you look in the mirror and say, I'm great, I'm good, and I'm better than everybody else, you're a sociopath. You're absolutely <laughs> clinical. You're a nut. You know what? You should be, you should be the top earner saying, Boy, you know, somebody could knock me out tomorrow. You should be a supermodel going, yeah, but my ass is a little fat. That's normal. You should like, you know, to a degree. So having self-doubt is just, that's just part of being human. That's fine. So once you just realize, oh, these are just normal feelings. Well, don't, you know, don't just assume they're right. Just assume that, okay, well, this is just something that, that I just have to get past the, you know, gosh, I wonder if I can really do it. Well, there's only one way to find out, you know, so that's the thing is just, you know, believing in yourself is just sometimes keep going is do what you're doing. And you'll eventually believe in yourself if you start accomplishing the things you want to accomplish. But if you just say, well, I I know that uh, I'm not tall enough to be in the NBA. Well, I mean, do you really know that? I mean, yeah, you're probably too short, but maybe... (laughs) Maybe your game is really good. Maybe, you could, maybe what was that guy's name? It was Spuds the guy who was like five six or some crazy thing like that? One years ago, nobody told him he was too short. Right. You know, it's like he just you know whatever it is, just it's fine to have your doubt, but 
you just keep plugging away. How do you shut off like the rush or the excitement or the opportunities or the demands of your job and unwind and enjoy your life? How do you like shut it off and dial in and you're having fun? I actually just, when work's done, work's done. I, I'll, I'll come home and uh, pour a nice glass of French red wine, uh, pet the cat, turn on uh, some Hogan's Heroes, just tune out, you know, just, just unwind. I don't come home and look online to see if everybody thinks I was good on this show today. No, no. And, and, uh, and Drew talks about it too, because everybody says, uh, you know, I just was a minor stand-up, whereas Drew, you know, was one of the greatest stand-ups of this generation. And they said, do you, you do stand-up major anymore? Stand-up. Yeah. And he said, no, nah, I don't do it anymore because, you know, I'd have to, I'd have to write. And then you have to work out. You can't just write and then go perform. You have to actually go to a comedy club every night and, you know, work that out. And then you got to chat with everybody afterwards and then drive home. And he said, I just work. And then I go home. I just, I don't want to take that much time. And I'm the same way. Would my career be bigger if I would, you know, write constantly and, and do stand up and tour? 100%. Absolutely. Would I not have time here at the house? No, I wouldn't. And you know what? I'm just not one of those people that needs to have it all. I just need to, yeah. you know, I've got enough. I'm very happy, very blessed. And so, you know, that's good enough that. for me. I love that. Cause there are people who are our top producers in the top 2% in the country listening right now. And I love how you said that, right. You can have enough and be full at that and then still get to balance or tap into shutting it off and enjoying your life. So Thank you for sharing that. My last question, I'll set you free. Yeah. Um, in life, George, what do you know for sure? That you're going to die. <laughs> that's, that is for sure. And that's probably the only thing in life that is for sure. I would guess. Wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, come on. Hit a nerve there. You didn't know about that one? Yeah, it's going to happen, Lisa. I don't know when. I don't know when, baby, oh, but man, it's going to, I don't know when to set the watch, but it's going to happen. Yeah. I don't know. I would say that's the only thing. Everything else is a little bit of a mystery. You know, there's no guarantees in life. It is what you make it. Some people get dealt pretty crappy hands. Some people get dealt amazing hands, but that doesn't mean either one's happier or not. I think yeah. you just, you know, I think once you do know the absolute that, well, sooner or later you're dead. It's like, we'll enjoy the ride then, you know? Right. Why not? I mean, because you don't know how long, you don't know how long it lasts. I, I I say that now all the time where, because my mom's 87, world famous Mama May. Uh, I say hi to her every day on the show. And, uh, you know, she talks about like, well, you know, I won't be here forever and everything. And uh, like nice conversations. And I she talks like she's going to go first. And I said, well, that's probably true, but don't forget I almost beat you. Right. Like, this could be my last interview. Lisa. You and I know each other. You and I are, are here doing this because of a fine, fine young gentleman named Bryce Berna. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, uh, and Bryce is one of the greatest guys on the planet. And I know, like you talk about an inspiration, right. he was inspired. I'm sure by his father uh, yeah. uh, to become a, 
the law enforcement, which he is now, and uh, and amazing. And his father, uh, you talk about adversity and talk about what you do. Uh, you know, if, if I don't know if you've ever spoken about it, but um, his father was um, executed, for lack of a better term, by some thugs uh, during a traffic stop that he didn't like. You know, this was pre, you know, calling it in. You know, this is back in the day where, you know, he just like walks up, didn't know he's walking up to a bad car, bad right. guys, had no right. idea. And uh, and even very recently, these bad guys, because of really bad policies, they're up to get out. And so Bryce, not only did he lose his father, but he took that in it, like and it made him stronger in a way that he wouldn't have probably anticipated and has become a cop and an yeah. amazing one. And it's a big organization. It's crazy with LAPD that has a zillion people in it. I can say, oh, I'm friends with Bryce Verna. And I've got at least a 50-50 chance that that person will go, oh, I know Bryce. He's just one of those guys. He's right. just one of those guys that's amazing. And, um, and now he's had to go through this crap because of, again, stupid politics and policies yeah. about these guys maybe getting to see the light of day. And he handles that. Like, he's just, he's an amazing guy. And and I love the fact that he's a tough son of a bitch. Um, yeah. He's all tatted up. He's a cop. He looks like he could be a mean biker thug. And you know, what? <laughs> every time we talk, every time we talk, I love you, buddy. I love you, man. He loves you. Like he never fails to say that. And my dad was a really tough guy. My dad grew up as, as a on the mean streets. And my dad always would hug me, always say, I love you. And um, and I just, I think that that's wonderful. I think that's amazing. So I couldn't do this interview without saying a bunch of nice stuff about Bryce. Oh, thank you. The feeling is totally mutual. He loves you so much. He talks about you so much. You're, you're his person, George. Okay, you're his person. <laughs> is that a, is that a non-binary way of saying something? I'm his person. You're my person. <laughs> person. <laughs> that almost sounds creepy. <laughs> I'm going to ask him what that means if he's been calling me his person. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh, if you're watching, Bryce, I love you, brother. And Lisa, it's been great chatting with you. I've it's really enjoyed been an it. It's an honor. Thank you so Hopefully. much. Thank you for all you do and all that you shared. Oh. And well, wait a minute. I got to do it. I got. Here's how we can end it. I, I. This is the right way to do it. Okay. Are you going to uh, come on down? Lisa Crown, come on down. You're the next contestant on the Price Is Right. That's a bucket list. Not lying. It's a bucket list. Thank you so much for that. That was amazing. Nice hanging out with you. I'm going to go. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. travel with the cat right now. Okay. Yeah, good luck with your cat. Appreciate it.